1: Welcome to another episode of the StrettyCast. My name is Dale O'Donnell and today I'm delighted to be joined by Brian Murphy and Sean Connolly. This has become my, my regular panel throughout the season, I hope, as, um, as three Irish Reds go through Everton, Manchester United. And there's a lot to get through since we last spoke. Obviously, we have the Richard Arnold meeting up with, with United fans and there's been a lot of reaction to that. There's some transfer news, but not so much transfer activity in a sense of incomings and outgoings. We know players that will be leaving um, in the next few days with their contracts expiring. But before we get to that um, speed dating with Richard Arnold, he's quite busy around Cheshire um, the last few days, meeting people, getting advice and, and sharing his views. Um, Some of his views have, have upset people. Um, and, And some people are giving him credit for it. Just before we dive into it, Sean, uh, and Brian, I, I want to get like a, a quick kind of summary of your reactions to it a few days on from the event. So, Sean, what, what, what did you make of Richard Arnold um, meeting the fans head on that were about to protest at his house?
2: It's got to be somewhat positive, doesn't it? It's the first time that someone from the board has come in front of the fans in how many years? I mean, it very well could be scripted. It very well could be lip service, but... He's come. He's taken his time out, and obviously he's he's salvaged what could have been a pretty uh, ugly affair on his doorstep. I think you have to give him a bit of credit for it. As to whether or not any of it is actually um, going to come to fruition is another. So, you know, I mean, I think he deserves a bit of credit in all reality for for going and sitting down by himself and speaking with these fellas.
1: And Brian, Brian, your thoughts? Um,
3: probably a little bit more conspiracy theorist than my my thoughts, on just one. Uh, yeah full, 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 full.
1: we're going full Joe Rogan here yeah
3: yeah and going Matt Leticia on this one um, <laughs> no look credit to the fella for sitting down with a bunch of lads 100% But in my opinion the only reason he did that was to stop him going to his doorstep it wasn't because he wanted to speak to him it wasn't because he felt like he owed him a chat he felt like he was protecting his own family in his own house from having lads outside the door shouting and roaring and chanting at him so um yeah, look, behind to see or behind all that, regardless of why he did it, was initially I was as curious as anyone else to see what was said, but how true any of it was remains to be seen.
1: To, to echo kind of what, what both he are, are kind of getting to, I think we have to give credit to, to someone in Ireland's position for, for, for meeting with fans, whether he was forced into doing it, whether he had no other option is kind of besides the point, because... Football fans of all football clubs will argue that they, they never get within an inch close to these people to, to, to talk to them, to, to, to echo how they feel. Um, again, something you both kind of touched on was that these people were, I suppose, we can't say threatening because it wasn't behaviour wasn't threatening, but they were they were willing to arrive at his house uh, where his children may have been and his family. Now, that is a seemingly touched the nerve, you two, because it's not something I can imagine you do, no matter how passionate you are about Manchester United. But is that a step too far? Is, is, is that when, you know, w- we feel so strongly about this football club and the way it's being run, but to show up at someone's house... Is that a step too far? Um, Well, look,
2: I mean, I I would just think very, very simplistic about this. I think previous people in his position at the club could very easily just have made a phone call and made sure that people were dispersed from outside his door. It would have been very easy for him to do that as well. I know he's come out and he's avoided the situation and I'll assume that he has gone and he's calculated what he's doing. But it would have been very easy for him to make a phone call and... Get the cops outside the door and just just get rid of them. I do. I think it's right. Do I think people should come up on his doorstep? Probably not. If in in all honesty, if I was in his position, I wouldn't want it happening. If I've small children inside in the house, but then at the same time, it's a football club that's been. Torn us under, and yeah, I mean, so it's inevitable. It's inevitable. It's, it's inevitable. And there's yeah, and there's so many people over in Florida. It's not as easy jumping a plane and go outside someone's house in Florida. I
1: thought just on what Sean said, Brian. Um, this this happened a year, a bit more ago to Ed Woodward at his house. Um, people arrived and shunts and flares. No, no, no damage onto property or any anything like that. But, but this has happened before. So when Richard Arnold was taking the job. Right, We're going to dive more in, in, into what was said in a moment. But when he took that job, he knew the scrutiny that was involved. Because ultimately, as someone that's, that was at, has been at the club since 2007 and seen the glazes, what they've done down the years and how they operate, he, he's very much part of the problem. So the scrutiny should be no surprise. He's very much jumped into to, to that cage of, of lines, you know, almost. But he's willing to do that. Because from, from day one, he's been one of those Glazer shields. And now he's a puppet. And that, that, that's what they all are, ultimately. Um, so meeting with the fans is one thing. But, but, but Brian, actions speak louder than words.
3: Yeah, I think, I think Sean made a good point there a second ago, or raised a good point in regards to the boys of California. Not so easy to jump on a plane and protest outside their front door, which are the ones, I'm sure, if any United fan had a choice of who they would approach, with a protest or would approach their their house even to go that far would be the Glaciers. I think the fact it's more like just circumstance that Richard Arnold is more accessible. So in a way, he's probably head of the the food chain at the moment in the accessibility range. That's why they chose to go to his house. Um, Would I have gone to his house myself? I suppose it depends what day of the week it is and what kind of form I'm in, but probably not something I'd, I'd have instructed or, or gone for originally, but I can understand why people do it. Of course I can. Um, Richard Arnold is playing a great fiddle where he's saying, give me a chance, I'm only just in the job. And if you take it in face value, yeah, he is. He's only just after taking over that position and that leadership role and whatever else. But like you said, it's not like he just came out of nowhere and was plucked from obscurity into this role. And He's completely innocent and void of any guilt. Richard Arnold has been at that club and has overseen partially in whatever role he's been in previously, the Glazer ownership tearing us asunder. So I don't believe Richard Arnold can say, hang on, lads, oh, give me a chance. Am I just in the job? You are just in the job, Richard." But you're also absolutely implicit in what's gone before you because you were part of it. You've been photographed standing arm in arm with the Glazers, smiling, posing with them because they're your buddies. I mean, what are you saying? I know you're just in the job in this particular role, but just think of the club. It's not like you're getting free. So that, that doesn't wash, me, you
1: know. Sean, something else that, that occurred is this was an opportunity, obviously, for the for the fans that they were at the, at the meeting to um to, to get some dialogue going with, with the with the club and to echo their, their feelings and that. But I I guess unfortunately the footage was was was, was recorded and leaked across social media immediately. Um, in a kind of in in such a way that that I think was was attention seeking, um, that was to, to to draw a lot of followers to one particular account. One one of the guys seemed to want to take all the pie to himself, um, but that didn't help United fans going forward because ultimately that trust barrier that that Arnold may have had after that meeting is gone because anything he does say you now is going to be. Dripped across social media. Do you think that was a uh, in the in the, in the long run a, a, a real kind of shooting herself in the foot?
2: So I think a lot of these have two answers, and they've an answer that can go either way. I mean, it is pretty snide, I suppose. Look, if if you want to take it from the very start, in that let's let's imagine he's been totally genuine and going there, and it's a bit snide to go and pluck him out of what is already a pretty difficult situation but then at the same time the guys that are doing it for whatever reason they are doing it for pig iron's sake that they don't record and all they do is move towards social media you know you know yourself the way the internet operates people are going to turn around and say "Lights, nonsense didn't happen so maybe in doing it one time it's proving that this is actually something that is coming to fruition and that in future sort of scenarios it's it's not required
1: yeah no absolutely but i i i I just think that that, that was all well and good when they uploaded maybe one short clip. It was when it was like a series of, of I think, 10 videos or so, nearly the whole thing. And apparently they've, they've 20 minutes more worth of footage that that one guy said he's he's not willing to, he doesn't want money for, but um, he certainly knows how to ask for it. Um, Brian, when it, when it comes to the meeting itself, um we, we already mentioned how rare this is to, to to get that close to someone like Arnold and to, to raise those questions. Back to the question just asked Sean, do you think that's dead in the water now of this happening again?
3: Um I think I think these lads found themselves in a very fortunate position through whatever circumstances Richard Arnold and ended up inside in the pub sat down with him having a beer. It was an opportunity to build. I suppose trust is one way of putting it, but to build a bit of a relationship moving forward, this could be possibly a few, something done in the future again. Um, I think that's absolutely obliterated by what happened afterwards. It's a, it's a missed chance for me. It's a, missed, it's a missed opportunity. It was a door open to potential dialogue if it was handled the right way, which listening to, like I watched a few of the clips, and from listening to the way questions were posed and the conversations went, it seemed like it was a very normal, natural decent discussion between a couple of lads. No one seemed to be acting like a knobheader like that towards him. <clears throat> yeah. um, but I think that, yeah, that, that trust barrier, I mean, like you said, one video being put out, maybe if that video had been released by more so a group situation, it would have been taken a bit better. But like, I think like you said, it just looked like one fella jumped on the opportunity and saw his chance to drop this red hot information
1: out. You see the and other thing can't... too. the other thing too, sorry Brian, is this kind of all as a result, the nineteen fifty-eight were getting lots of kind of you know, they were getting the credit for this, for this organizing this event, and and you know, as it turned out, they kind of started to, to kind of push away from it when stuff was revealed there at later dates. But the problem that exists with this and what you're referring, what you're getting at is that this is a group that are relatively unknown and not just unknown that they're new. United fans know who they are. They know of the 1958, but there's very few people that know who's involved. Um, And when they say that they, if they came out and they said, we we met with Arnold and he said this and that, yeah, people wouldn't believe them. There's a reason for that. But maybe if they, with that information, they could have done something a lot better with it or those involved could have done something a lot better with it. Um, and to ensure that I went to the best place possible. Because there is, there, th- that information could have been useful. That footage good, yeah. footage yeah. could have been very, very useful.
3: If you are to read and, and take what's said at face value, which I try to do with most, as most as I can, the 1958 didn't directly uh, cause this meeting, but there were seemingly members of the 1958 involved in it. I think if the situation had transpired a little bit differently, if it had turned out more positively and it didn't kind of blow up in the way that it did, it might have been an opportunity for the 1958 to use that as, look, Richard, a few of our members were involved in that chat with you and it would open up a dialogue for them if that's what they wanted to do. I don't know if it is or not, but it would have been a, a door opener for them to maybe continue dialogue with Richard Arnold as the 1958 directly. I think because of the way it transpired and the way it came out and some of the negative reaction to it, it ended up that they actually did have to, have to clarify that we didn't direct this, we didn't lead this um, and they had to release a bit of a statement afterwards take from that what you will But uh, I think it's a missed opportunity all around including for the 1958
1: themselves Yeah and the, the other side with them is they're a relatively new group that have got together um, unknown as well in, in, their, in their sense of identity but they will learn as well with any Manchester United group have learned, is that down the road there's always bumps and places where you have to learn from mistakes. Uh, I'm not saying that they were, just, as you said, they didn't organise this, but in terms of like saying claiming involvement in, in such events, they might be slower to do that in the future because the backlash is massive. And when, when, when you're talking Manchester United fan groups, people are always out there trying to to knock you and, and look for reasons to say you're a bunch of frauds or whatever.
2: Those, those few buys went out. The aim of having a couple of pints and going protesting.
1: I'm willing to wager
2: a, a fair amount of money. They had no idea that they were going to end up sitting down in the pub talking. Okay, so this was something that absolutely blindsided them, presented sure. them with an opportunity that not in their wildest dreams they thought they were going to have. Honestly, I, I think it would have been very difficult to process... And to properly ascertain what had happened and the best way they've been able to deliver that. I'm not trying to pardon anything that's been done, oh. but it was something that presented to them. And they couldn't have possibly thought they were going to have that opportunity. you know. So it was a difficult situation from the deal with, in fairness.
1: It, it's interesting that to, you, you touched on that, because when we said from Brian, I've spoken about this before recording or on the phone. You know, there were There were moments within that meeting where we questioned kind of saying, why didn't he do this? So why didn't someone do this? So why didn't they think about this clearer? But that is a valid point that they went out with the aim to to protest at a uh, fellow's house, go to the pub for a pint or two before they go out there, and he presents himself at the bar. The thing exactly. I think,
3: like, like Sean is saying there, obviously he's nailed it. They didn't expect this to happen. They didn't go up there thinking we're going to end up sitting on Richard Aron. Well, as you're saying, the way to process it and the way to deal with it afterwards, I think that opportunity was taken away from them by the instant leaking of information. Whereas instead of sitting back as a group who had met him and, and, and processed it themselves and said, right, look, lads, let's sit in this for 24 hours. Let's have a chat about it. Let's see what way we deal with it. One lad just went went solo and decided to go rogue, released everything and took it out of their hands. So I think... You know, it kind of took all the chance of dealing with it properly away from them because it just blew up instantly.
1: Just to refer to part of the conversation that they, they had, um, the fans, understandably like ourselves, quite angry about the, the leaks in the dressing room that, we, that we've seen throughout the season. Um, the irony in this, you know, that we had a leak within a small... Um, group of fans, you know, that that couldn't keep the information to themselves. And not even, I'm not saying they had to withhold that information forever. I'm saying that it, at least go back to the drawing board, question what what should we do with this? What's the best thing we can do with this? And as United fans, come up with a solution. There's not just one lad that deserves to take all the pie like I alluded to at the start. Um just before we move on from the Arnold thing, something I wanted to talk on that 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 kind of I know upset people at, at the at the club. Um, you know, f- quite a few people questioned it. Um, with some of his criticisms of previous decisions that were, have been made at the club. Um, Richard Aaron, like I said, has been at the club since two thousand and seven. Um, has, has has worked with the Glazers very very closely for that duration of time, and has been trusted now to to be the the, the leading puppet of the ship. The the sinking t- the modern sinking Titanic, which I call on the blog this week. Um, he has been part of the decision process in so many things at this football club that we angrily joke about. From Phil Jones getting a new contract, from ridiculous transfers that didn't make sense, from Ed Woodward overstepping the mark with managers and saying that we shouldn't get this player and we get this player instead. Richard Arnold, don't be fooled, was as much involved in those decisions as probably Ed Woodward. Um, So he doesn't get the benefit. It's out until we see actions before words, you know, words are easy. We've seen them as I alluded to in in my column on, on the blog this week, that after the European super league, the Glazer, or Joe Glazer, issued a list of promises. You go back to that list, let me know how many of them have been, you know, followed up. There's not many of them, very fucking few of them. So this is again, as I described, token gesture until we see evidence. Now, again, giving credit, meeting fans, um, Ed Woodward didn't do that. Ed Woodward did open up better dialogue with fans through different means of communication after David Gill completely blanked the fold after the takeover. Completely ignored fan groups and cl- completely ignored. So we've seen improvements, but we've never quite seen enough. We've never seen the club actually change its way and prioritise football. That's not been achieved. Now we're apparently we see change now, but a few months down the line we will um we have a better review of what Richard Aaron is doing at the football club and not just a, a meeting at a pub and a few points because up until then we haven't really heard much, um lads. Also, there's a range of transfers we want to talk about. People are looking for updates on on Frankie de Young, 24-7. It's a slow burner. It's a slow burner. Brian, are you fed up yet of, of, of hearing about his name?
3: Yeah. Move on. Next question. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Sean, you can tell us more about Frankie as a, as a midfielder at least. Um, are you excited about the prospect of bringing him or is the weight now kind of dwelling on you and you're kind of feeling, come on, the excitement now just blown?
2: The last time that we spoke about this, I, I was very, very clear. At the time, it sort of seemed like he didn't want to, to come. It was more so the two clubs trying to make a decision for him that he wasn't keen on. And as I said, and Brian agreed with me, if he doesn't want to come, close the book and move on. Now, it, it looks entirely different now because Barcelona put him in a shop window and told pretty much every major European club he was available. The player has reassessed his his options, and obviously the prospect of playing with United surely has some bit of an allure still to to reunite with a manager who brought him to a position where he was considered one of the hottest properties in European football. I mean, it's 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 very tedious reading day in day out the same stuff, and seeing various individuals who supposedly have all the inner runnings of every football club and every transfer at the uh, at the end of a WhatsApp message is uh, is, is wearing a bit in me. It seems like he's going to come. I'd be dumbfounded if he doesn't come. I mean, they seem to be squabbling about what in modern football is a very, very minuscule amount of money. And I think it's only a matter of time. I mean, he's going to be a fantastic signing if he does arrive. He's going to be easily our best midfielder by a long, long way. And you'd like to think that he's going to be able to sort of have that impact that we hope Habib is going to have when we brought him back.
1: The thing that, that I think is frustrating a lot of people with these transfer rumours um, is the way in which they're being covered. Now, as someone involved in the media and that, that, that speaks to people in the club and asks about these situations um, and does and, and get updates from time to time. There's a reason which we, we don't on the blog come out every week with exclusives saying that United have had, have, had a second round of talks with Frankie De They've had another meeting with Frankie De had another meeting with Frankie Dion because there's there, there's some things that don't really need to be reported, and then you get to the stage of really fucking dragging out a transfer saga and anger and fans and ask and then fans getting frustrated about how these are taking so long. These are complicated procedures, a lot of them, because every different deal, every different deal is completely different, completely different, different demands, different, just completely different, and you can see from. From reports, the Manchester United are meeting very regularly with Barcelona to get this deal over the line. Barcelona have a lot of problems financially and United are trying to use that to their advantage. Now, with people that are losing patience with this one, right, this transfer is massive because it's United's big one of, the, of, 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 the, of this window. It's going to have a massive bearing on how much is left. To spend on other targets that, that Ten Hag wants. So Ten Hag has a list of players that he would like to bring to Manchester United. I don't believe at this minute he knows exactly which route he's going down yet until he knows how much they can get the young for. And, and these come down to fine margins. So you look at look at Jaden Sancho, for example. If if United got him the year prior, he would have cost 120 million. Now the player on which we've got, we spent quite a bit for him, but you'd still say, he, he probably isn't really worth that money. But 120 million, then you're talking even more money. So Manchester United are playing that game because they don't want to be in that situation. And I think, you know, it, 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 they have to play that game. You know, we're, 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 we're not, at this, at this moment in time, they are struggling with the fact that their top targets, if they get the offer to go to a Champions League club, they would probably go there. And That's a tough situation for this club. But another In year way. another year without the Champions League would even be more detrimental because I think financially, I don't think the club is set up for it. When
2: we last discussed this, sorry not to interrupt you, we last discussed this, and specifically when we last discussed Frankie de Young, I made the point that I said there a few minutes ago that if he's not interested, close the book, move on. Brian pretty much jumped alongside me and said, yeah, absolutely. You made a point at that time, Dale, that there's no way, shape or form the club will continue working on trying to buy a player if there wasn't some sort of crystal clear indication that it was going to happen or that there was a real possibility it was going to happen. So surely when this is taking the length of time that it's taking, they obviously know that it's going to happen. They are, they're obviously only a matter of time
1: it's confidence. away from announcing yeah. Yeah, you know you're, not, you're not confident they can get this deal done because again, you have to question... Why would they be wasting this time on it if there wasn't that sense of confidence? United yeah, know exactly. the scrutiny that they will face if this doesn't happen. Not only is it Ten Hag's number one target, his first transfer window, you have to back the new manager and so on. But it's terrible PR. And, and, and United have been dragged into media storms this summer with Darwin Nunes, for instance. The whole idea that Liverpool beat Manchester United to his signature is absolute crap. And again, it goes back to the kind of reporting that I think United unfairly get in a sense that the second United open talks with a player journalists and so many journalists are hopping on those agents for those little minor details and that little different detail that one agent gives to another journalist is then seen as exclusive breaking news it might be involved it might be the same fucking story but what I'm saying is it's totally dragged out and I don't see other football clubs get it quite like Manchester United Really don't, really don't like you know, United have met with X amount of players this summer. So someone said to me on Twitter during the week, "I don't think United are doing anything." That's that that is couldn't be further from the truth. If if, if you ask my opinion, I think United are meeting with too many players that they know they won't be signing, and I'm not talking about players that are out of their distance, but players that I that maybe we 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 may have had before. That might be a hint that one player that they that they've met with recently. And they can tell you that they won't be signing, but they're spent. They're spending time meeting with agents, and you're looking at Frankie De Jong, and you're looking at the fact there's no one. There's no one after signing. What are they, What are they doing? You know, there's, there, there's, they're they're doing stuff, but they're not. You know, getting the fucking job done quite the way they should. And um, Brian, back to you. Another player that United are linked with, Anthony. It's been a while since we've had a right winger at Manchester United. It's been. Donkey's years, really. Um, is, is that a player? Is that a position? Sorry, do you see as a as a priority for Ten Hag, or do you think he should really just focus on starting that defensive midfield? Though,
3: you know, I've kind of I've kind of come to the stage in my life where the transfer window is starting to wind me up more than it's ever wound me up before. I'm kind of getting tired of nonsense rumours. The ninety two players we get linked with every summer. The never-ending saga trying to buy one big name, the couple of kind of weird ones that are thrown in for good measure. Then you've got like right, Anthony, Timber, half of IX. We're getting linked with them. Hands up, don't watch IX. Haven't really watched much of IX. Bad the Champions League game. Can I say anything much about Anthony being this top-class player? No, I've seen a few video montages. Anderson looked like Ronaldinho in a video montage one time. It's not exactly fair. A fair way to relay a player's ability, um, but right wing is it a priority? <sighs> is what position isn't a priority at the moment? Is probably a fair way to say it. There and is the, re- re- the
1: reason why that is the case, by the way, Brian, that you're saying to so many priority positions is because we've left too many positions for too long, yeah. and 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 what Manchester United have done too, pretty, pretty much probably since 2015. Uh, maybe before that is we've signed lots of experienced strikers coming to the end of their career, right? And we're kind of putting off that need to sign a center forward every so often and saying, we'll go back to it next year. When we do eventually go to it, we can't because we need to sign a defender or whatever. And I, and I can promise you something that I want to touch touch on with you, Sean, um, about a player that won't be leaving this summer, but I do feel we'll be talking about it in a year's time is the, the goalkeeping situation, right? We, there's a lot of people that, that believe that Eric Ten Hag and his preference for a goalkeeper could not sit any further away from, from, from David De Gea, possible, right? So in a year's time, it's not a, it's not a problem he, he's going to be able to address now. I can see Banchinelli being the market for a goalkeeper. I'll be p- pleasantly surprised if De Gea can show great distribution next season, come off his line and show that he's a modern goalkeeper. I don't believe he can. What are your thoughts on? it? And do you think that De Gea would be a problem? And I wanted to speak. I told you I wanted to speak to you about that after your holidays.
2: Look, I, I need, I need a long time to, to to really really go into this. You 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 know my take on this. I, I think with look with De Gea, first and foremost, like you, I I would I would love him to to just stay at the club and and be a tremendous goalkeeper under, under the manager. I really would. I, I love De and uh, he's there many, many years. But obviously, as I have documented, both on paper and through podcast, I, I feel he's got many, many areas of his game that are lacking. I think he's going to struggle in Ten Hag's system if he brings the type of system that you would expect him to from everything that he's done in his career thus far. I feel it's going to exploit areas and, and really highlight areas that they De has deficiencies in. And I agree with what you said. I do feel in 12, 24 months time, you're going to be looking at a situation where there is talk of him going and being replaced by probably a goalkeeper that we're not all that familiar with. A younger, cheaper, continental goalkeeper that has ability to be able to play football and not necessarily just prioritise being able to hit show real saves. Now, I know Brian feels quite strongly about this. Obviously, we all talk quite regularly. I know how, Br- <coughs> I know how Brian feels about the De Gea situation. And it's you see, I, I know it's, it's almost kind of fashionable, especially on social media, for people to start taking pops at, at, at the goalkeeper and putting up these ridiculous montages of him not coming off his line, which personally I do feel is a problem. But like a player being made look like Ronaldinho in a montage, it's very easy to make a player look absolutely brutal in a montage yeah, as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm more worried, Sean, about the time that it takes to put those together and uh, a guy that, that actually has that fucking time.
2: <laughs> I know, I know. Look, I mean, to say that De Gea is the worst goalkeeper in the world is just nonsensical. And that's what so many people are doing at the moment. But he is tremendously limited in in several aspects of what a modern goalkeeper should be. And I'm speaking about this solely from a tactical point of view, not from some sort of an agenda-laden point of view or anything like that. I'm just solely talking about a modern 21st century goalkeeper. And I do feel he is extremely lacking in several areas, which we've discussed previously.
1: Brian, lead away there on your feelings on David. See,
3: I don't... I don't disagree at all. I understand 100% and I've always accepted that the Gea is limited in his ability and there are certain aspects that he just can't do or just won't do. But what might be in my bonnet about this summer is it's more so the way it's been dealt with on social media where people are outright saying David De Gea is the biggest problem we have at Manchester United, right? Which to me is absolute and utter bullshit. Complete nonsense and it's just as 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 Sean said, it's fashionable. It's bollocks. It's bollocksology. Talking through the arse. David is far from the biggest issue we have at Manchester United right now. We have issues all over the pitch. To limit it to one particular position is nonsense. Our defence is a shambles, our midfield is in ruins, and our strike force is a thirty seven slash thirty-eight year old Ronaldo who can't go on forever, regardless how much everyone might want him to, with no backup. I mean, Jesus H Christ on a bicycle! How can the goalkeeper be the biggest problem when our defence can't keep the ball away from him, our midfield can't pass, and our strikers—we've got one striker, and he's thirty. He's the same age as myself. I can't play up front. I know he's Ronaldo, but come on, like Jesus, we need to—we need to specify. We need to focus on multiple positions at once. The gear—can I see him going in twelve months' time? Very likely. Yeah, hundred percent. I could. Is he a modern-style goalkeeper? No, he's not. But will we be able to? Bandage, bandage it up for a season with him and goals 100% we will yeah. we need to focus on getting Everton else right, get straight first in front of him give him a bit more protection he'll, he'll be alright he'll be grand for
1: another I, season. I, 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 I do feel I'm not as convinced that he'll be fine um, to be honest I, I, I do feel that as we go on this season on this podcast that it will be an even bigger talking point because it's just you're really taking a goalkeeper out of his comfort zone because when people argue De Gea is one of the best in the world that of course that he could at least try to adapt his style um I'm not I, I'm really not convinced because you, you're like I said you're taking him out of his comfort zone he's going to be solely focused on on doing these new tasks these new responsibilities that'll be asked of him mm-hmm. that when it comes to his actual strengths he, he he won't be as good there either. You know, I th- I I I just think that look, like I said, I want to be I want to be pleasantly surprised this season by him. Um, he's been a fantastic servant to the football club. Um, she had so many bad teams that he's been our goalkeeper, and and you look at the league tables, and you you always kind of wonder how far we'd be down the table if it wasn't for him. Um, but but just before we get to the question, something on the on the transfers that I wanted to touch on with the, the links to players with, with Ajax. So I think United have really missed the, an opportunity in the market um, because we've heard all summer that Eric Ten Hag, there's, this, there's several players at Ajax that he'd like to bring. Jorian like Timber, Anthony, Lisandro Martinez. Um, they, They've been the, the three that have been kind of mostly linked to United. So the, the club have had that. Clearly, they, they understand that they're players that he wants. They've waited until this point, and and during this time, we've seen players like Sebastian Haller at Ajax being linked with, with different clubs, and they've sold other players. So they're not a club, by the way, Ajax, that need to sell. They're not in financial ruin, and they always have players that attract attention around Europe. They sell those players, and they make profit. That's how they run, but there's no way they're going to strip their whole squad. And what was always inevitable to happen is they were going to sell one or two more players. And then with the remaining players that were attracting interest, they were going to warn those clubs that you're going to have to pay a premium for these players. I'm talking about Anthony, who Eric Ten Hag has been on record um, before he left Ajax, speaking about his future, saying that he is the one player that this Ajax team will struggle to replace because they haven't got a replacement coming in to replace him. You know, so they are not going to give him to us on the cheap now. There was talks of 40 million. I always thought that was very, very, it sounded too, too good to be true. But now, after selling Halaire, apparently they want 70 to, to 80 million euros for a signature. It's a big increase, but that's the position they're in.
2: The one thing though, Dale, and, and it's what everybody seems to forget in this conversation. I, I mean, obviously it's, it's noted that Ajax are a club that sell players. Mm. They, that's, it's, it's their model, bringing new players, sell them for massive profit, rinse, repeat, people seem to forget that they do buy players. Yeah. You know, and, and all the talk is about the players that are leaving Ajax. No one is talking about the fact that they're today very much likely looking like getting Stephen Burgoyne back from Spurs and they're going to get him at a, at, like, at a very, very low price. You know, and this is a player that is going to do absolutely brilliant for them because the league is obviously nothing like the Premier League. Like they've sold Haller. They're going to bring in another player. Look what Dusan Padic did for Ajax and look at his goal contributions that he had in that time period. So... I don't think it's as cut and dry as Ajax have sold two players. That's it. Now we're ghosts. The figures that we're speaking about previously are going to be inflated. I don't, I don't believe that because they've sold two players for huge profit on what they've actually brought them in for. I, 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 syndic-
1: I, I just think that the likes of Anthony that have years left in their contract that Ajax could now just simply say, unless we get a crazy fee for you this summer, you can go next year. Which they've, done, which they've done with some other players. And, you know, there's also players there, like Jorion Timber, which, from my understanding, is uh, is still very much in two minds. Some people are reporting that it's dead in the water. United will not get Jorion Timber. I don't think that's dead in the water at all yet. I think that if United put in a fee that Ix like he'd be on the first flight to Manchester. Um,
2: Van halle is doing his best to prevent that happening.
1: Absolutely. But the, but the point there is that they have some kind of pull factor, Sean, like in a sense that mm. players are happy to stay there. They know that in a year's time, the Bayern Munichs of this world, if they perform well, are going to come knocking because Ajax have that flow. United, they, they, they're not looking at this United deal saying, if I don't get this, this is the end of me. It's my last deal. They don't look at that anymore. United have to
3: start moving. Do you know what's really been highlighted, I think, this summer? Now, I know it's still relatively early days in the market, although we'd like to see a bit more action. Is it finally coming home to roost that years and years of poor investment, sentimentality contracts being handed out, and now the lack of Champions League, has it finally, finally hit home that Manchester United just isn't the draw that it once was, which now results in a situation where we're Aiming and spending all our time trying to buy one major target with Barcelona. A player who we're led, we have to convince him to come. I read a report earlier today which actually contradicts the whole thing of him wanting to come, saying that he's still completely not convinced by it, whether that's true or not. We're trying to get one or two players from our new manager's ex-club. We're trying to sign Christian Eriksen on a free transfer, who could possibly choose Brentford over us, which makes me laugh. And we failed to sign a kid from Derby who chose Palace because, I suppose, likely for himself he'd get more game time. But if you take the transfer market in its entirety this summer, it's been an absolute shit show. We're not being linked with players that were going, oh, Jesus, yeah, he'd make a big difference. I mean, there's a couple of players out there who I've looked at over the time and I've gone, I'd love to see her sign him. We're not linked with them. We're linked with a player that's taken seven weeks of discussion to try and convince him to join us, a player on a free transfer who had quite a big health scare last season, a kid from Derby who we couldn't get over the line and a couple of ex-players from our manager's last club. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't excite me. It's not the window I expected. This was a, what I thought was going to be a key window. I mean, we're going to get rid of six, seven, eight players. It's time to clear out the dead wood and a couple of viruses and whatever else you want to call them. And we bring in some key players to solve some key positions. We're now a couple of days away from pre-season training starting. We have nothing done. We don't look like getting anything done today or tomorrow. And then for the final insult in it all, the Glazers are going to take fucking 11 million quid out of the club tomorrow.
1: Dividend, it's, yeah. it's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah it's a, it's yeah. a
3: disgrace. The, cl- the whole window has been a massive slap in the face for anyone with a bit of optimism. Sean, I think you've made just, a,
2: an excellent point. Just before you go on, Dell, I think you made a brilliant point there. With the fact of a decade of underachieving and all the problems that we've had, United have always under this particular regime have wanted it. It doesn't matter what's happening on the field. We're still a powerhouse and we still have this ability to draw on the marquee signings. Frankie de Young, I think, is all the eggs in the basket for that marquee signing. He, he very much is. Then The club could go tomorrow and buy five, six players and you might have heard of two of them you know, and the rest of them might be that that shrewd signing sort of idea. But Frankie De Young is very much that marquee signing, for sure. He is.
1: John, so just I wanted to get to you before we get to the questions on what Brian said about not being leaked, ex-player, whatever. Do you think that has maybe something to do with the the clubs handling, uh, or or want to change the way they're portrayed in the market by by maybe trying to clamp down on on leaks?
2: I would hope so. I would hope so. I mean, the leaks are. They're incredibly, I mean, I, I don't understand the leaks uh, and you could offer me a perfectly reasonable solution as to where the leaks come out and I still won't understand them. I mean, it's it, it it should be very straightforward to keep your 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 business inside your own doors. So it's, uh, I don't know. Um, It's, look, I, I shared a sentiment, what Brian had just said. It is an incredibly frustrating window. It's very, very frustrating. Um, I do feel that, look, there's a certain aspect of it where we don't know the full ideal of what's happening in, in these contra in these uh, transfer talks. And look, there could be more happening. It's been led on, but it is incredibly frustrating. And it's, as I said, I think it's in a situation right now where Frankie de Young is all eggs in one basket for that Markey signing that when it's all said and done, there's four or five players arriving in the club. And Frankie is the poster boy of it all in that, despite everything that's happening, we still have this ability to draw these players and we can still do things in the transfer market that nobody else can. You know, I, I, I think that's what we're looking
3: at. On that one, Sean, though, do you think, is Frankie De Jong that big? Is he that big a name? Is it, is it really proof of the pudding that we can still draw, the, in inverted commas, marquee signings? Is he really that big a name in football that it's proof that Manchester United are still a draw? Or is he just a very good player who needs to find a new club because his own club needs to get rid of
2: him? No, I, I get where you're coming from. And you're right. You know I, mean? obviously I, I do I do feel like, like the struggle is real. Obviously, there is this this sort of marquee issue. For, I mean, would you class Frinkie de Young in that superstar sort of category in terms of these marquee superstar players? You probably wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. But in terms of the ability that he has, I mean, you can build a massive project around him. So I think it's maybe, like Dale is sort of saying, I think it's, it's possibly aiming towards that shift in a transfer policy and a shift in an ideal and how we're going to move and going forward. There's, there's no doubt that the, 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 the dynamic has to totally change, and it has changed because years and years and years of underperformance, years of ridicule. And then looking at, I suppose, even the likes of Jesse Lingard, our own players, how that has gone completely sideways and his, his brother's coming out and... Absolutely ridiculing the club and social media posts. All of this stuff is going to add up and it's going to affect players' opinions on wanting to come to the club, particularly when Paul Parba
3: is leaving in the manner that he is. Like, and the biggest change, I think, the biggest shift we would have expected, I think all of us would have expected this window, is decisive early movement. Mm. Let's get in. Let's get our business done. Let's show a statement of intent. We're back in the tin hag. He wanted these boys. We've gone out. We've done it. We've got them. We're going on pre-season. We've got two, three, four new players to gel into the club, give them a proper for pre-season. United are after curing a few problem positions, and we've shown that when we we mean business. We're now in a situation where, as I said, we're a few days away from preseason starting. We've got the same squad as last year, minus about seven players, with yeah. nobody coming in. It's a shambles. Mm-hmm. Like when we're I know the shift, we're talking about the shift is in the publicity around transfers. Are, are people discussing it or are, are the club keeping things under wraps I really I really fucking hope so I really hope this is a massive game of charades where the club have three or four signings lined up that are going to go bang 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 for Britsy Man or Samuel Lockhurst so no one knows
1: about it it's just going to happen <laughs> i give you the first question which comes in from Twitter uh, it comes in from Round 5 MMA do you think Arnold's lunch with Gil is more about getting advice about how to deal with a certain club i.e. Barcelona?
2: No. No. No, I, I, don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I mean, in a nutshell,
1: no. How to ignore um, fans?
2: I think an amalgamation of a whole lot of different things as well as an opportunity to have a picture taken.
1: Mr. Gill, how do you ignore Manchester United fan base? Seriously, please. <laughs> um, we have another question in from Keith Franey for you, Brian. How do you assess our fullback situation? Should we be in the market for a fullback this summer?
3: Um, Luke Shaw has failed to transpire into the player we wanted him to don't think he's ever really lived up to the hypes post-injury he's still a decent left back but he's not quality he's not what we need Alex Tellez is the worst footballer I've ever watched play football (laughs) Um, Chelsea at home he hated left back with with Cristiano Ronaldo dropped back to cover him because he literally didn't know what planet he was on so yeah he needs to go right back Aaron Wan-Bissaka Never liked him from the start. Got absolutely lambasted first. Don't think he's up to it by any means. And Diogo Dalla is a bang average right back who would do grand at Norwich. Don't think he's good enough from United. Next.
1: <laughs> right. Sean, we got a mid- question in from midfield Mastro. What's the real- realistic expectations for next season? Top four and deep into the Europa League.
2: I mean, there's no reason if there's any bit of structure put into the side whatsoever that the group of players can't have a run in the Europa League. I mean, with the best respect, it's it's the second tier of European football. There's still a squad of absolutely, well, they're supposed to be fantastic footballers. So if to get any bit of structure in there, there's no reason that we can't get top four and run Europa League. Maybe 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 a nice run a domestic cup and a a nice day out for the boys.
1: Nice bit of optimism at the end of the night. Um, Brian, I have a question for you too. We have a question for our um, avid Love Island watcher and fan whatever you want to call yourself. <laughs> um, does Michael Owen get a hard time or is he getting an extra hard time at the moment? Because like, Michael Owen's always got a hard time. He's not a popular figure, but right now it's pretty intense.
3: It is. Just to, just to clarify, it's, as we're recording, I'm 20 minutes late for Love Island. and Luckily, I've got a recorder or I wouldn't speak to you again because it's brilliant. <laughs> um, Michael Owen is getting absolutely hammered in social media. When you go to the situation of his family being on television and some of the comments that have been made towards him, they're downright disgusting. If that was my daughter on telly, would I want to be in his position? No, I definitely would not. He's getting some ridiculously vile comments thrown at him. Um, now, saying that, she probably draws a lot of it on herself because she's not the nicest human being in The apple doesn't fall after the tree, does it? Michael, who wouldn't leave with us, not Liverpool.
1: That's your weekly roundup of Love Island. <laughs> um, thanks, lads, for, for joining me this week on the StrettyCast. Of course, you can get the Cast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anything you're listening to now. You already fucking know, I guess. Um, you can get the weekly roundup or daily roundup of Mansionite News at strettynews.com. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We'll be back with more next week.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.